0: So we read these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you help us today, Lord, We ask that through your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to a people that's in the midst of the outrage and the divisiveness and the disunity that's all around us, and Lord, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, that you would show us your grace and your love and your patience that we have have received in Jesus. And Lord, as we experience that grace, as we experience that love and that patience, Lord, may we turn and be different type, a different type of people. May we be set apart to be gentle and lowly, patient and kind, loving to those around us that they might see and hear Jesus Christ and that they might be rescued back to him. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. It's Monday morning. You get an email from your boss. That was a poor and pathetic effort on that presentation. A presentation that you worked really hard on. You get a text message from a friend that says, I am so frustrated by what you said the other day. And you're clueless. Your relative posts an extremely offensive post on Facebook, and it sounds like you might be the audience in mind. You're grabbing coffee with a friend, and and once again, it turns into an argument. It turns into a disagreement. Once again, they're now playing the devil's advocate. You turn to your child in the morning, you give what you think is a simple instruction to your child, yet they snap back like an angry crocodile. You try to have a harmless conversation with your spouse about plans for the weekend, and you think it's clear, but you're misunderstood, and before you know it, it's World War III. Some of you are thinking right now, Lance, did you follow me this week? Like, like I, I was worried about the government, even maybe a little bit by Amazon with my Alexa, but now my pastor is tapping my phone calls. He's watching me. He must be watching me. Well, my question for you this morning is, when these things happen, what do you do? What do you say? If you're anything like me, you get really Competitive. It's time to take the gloves off. Your defenses go up immediately in every one of these situations. If you're anything like me, you're ready to die at all costs. Like every hill is a hill to die on. True confession this morning. If too often I'd rather leave every single one of these situations with being right rather than the situation being redeemed by the Lord. Is, is that you this morning that all too often you'd let, rather leave the situation being right than being used by the Redeemer? This is so sad for God's people. And this is so sad because it's so little like Jesus. It's so unlike Jesus Christ, our Savior. And, and these are all about trivial things. This is about making Mountains out of mohills. I mean, we're talking about be- being bent up about a Facebook post. I feel like I need to maybe open up the altar already. What about when it's something important? What about when it's like what Paul is facing in prison? What Timothy is seeing in Ephesus from the false teacher? What what if it's an attack on your personal character? People are questioning your integrity, questioning your faithfulness to the Lord. What if it's an attack even worse on your Savior, Jesus Christ? What if they're twisting and corrupting the one true gospel that you have been entrusted with? Well, God's word this morning wants to teach us what to do. God's word this morning wants to show us what it looks like to be the Lord's servant, to be the servant of Jesus, what it looks like to be less divisive, less outraged like the world around us, and more and more like our Savior. What would it look like if we were a church that cared less about being right, and we were a people, people that just longed to be used By our Redeemer. My prayer this morning. Lord, by the power of your Spirit, as we speak for Jesus, as we speak about Jesus to others, would you help us look like Jesus? The first thing we see here is the Lord's servants in our passage are marked by their pursuits. They're marked by what they pursue. Simply put, They just look different than the rest of the world. The Lord's servants look different than the rest of the world. You're going to be marked by a Christ-likeness, not the worldliness that's around you. So it might be a good time to pause and ask yourself, am I blending in to the world around me, or do I look radically different? That helps us see, am I a servant Of Christ. Because Paul shows us here that it's seen both in what you're running from and what you're running to, what you're fleeing from and what you're pursuing. First, Paul says to Timothy clearly, You have to flee youthful passions. Now, when we first think about that phrase, youthful passions, there's probably a million different ways our mind wants to run. There are a million ways that sinful passions can overwhelm and overtake youth today whether that be greed or coveting or lust or drunkenness or envy or jealousy or materialism addictions pornography glory seeking these are things that consume the youth today and again timothy is about 40 years old and paul is still calling him a youth but more specifically paul's Addressing this inner desire, this inner love that that wants to be right, that always wants to fight, that wants to be divisive, that wants to argue, that wants to win. See, it's our youthfulness that makes us want to be right rather than to be used by the Redeemer. It's our youthful passions that make us want to win the battle instead of thinking about what matters in light of eternity. John Calvin says this a few hundred years ago. He says if some debate has arisen, he's saying if if you see a debate form, this is what usually happens. Young men more quickly grow warm are more easily irritated, more frequently blunder through want of experience or lack of experience, and they rush forward with greater confidence and rashness than men of riper age. Not much has changed, has it? Look at the debates and the divisiveness whether that be online or in our streets or anywhere in our country, and it's a bunch of 16 and 18-year-olds, it's not the older, wiser men and women of our day. Paul presses into the specific area here in verse 23. He says, the foolish controversies. He says, have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies. I mean, it's like... He's saying, have nothing to do with the the stupid, stupid conversations. You know that they breed corals. I believe the Greek translation is more like, have nothing to do with Twitter or Facebook. I think that's the the Greek. See, sadly, social media does a lot more to cultivate our youthful passions than it does cultivate Christlikeness. You know what happened the other day? I got on my phone, jumped on Twitter the other day, and I was 100% convinced of my position on a particular issue. 100% convinced I was right. I was ready to argue my position to the death. But then there was this one post, and it completely changed everything. It changed my mind in an instant. No one's ever said that, like ever. No one's ever said that. No, that's never happened. Not once in the history of the internet has that happened. That might be a a little exaggeration. At least it's, it's never happened to me, but I'll tell you what has happened. I have left more angry, more frustrated, more impatient, more quarrelsome than when I got on that day. Social media, the, the news, politics, these all seem to be created to divide us, not to, to make us one. That's why the devil uses this. That's why the devil loves an election year and loves Christian crossfire on social media. Because he loves to divide. He hates oneness. He loves to divide. So church, we have to put a lot less hope in a facebook post and a lot more hope in a conversation a lot less hope in a facebook post or a twitter feed and a lot more hope in a relationship with others paul's saying to us have nothing to do with it don't get involved with it don't put yourself in the midst with it midst of it stop and move towards people Stop and love people. Stop and be patient and kind and gentle with people. We have to be different as God's people. Instead, he says, the Lord's servant must flee youthful passions. Then he says, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Again, we're not just marked by what we're running from We're marked by what we're running towards, what we're pursuing. We must be marked, he says, by pursuing righteousness. Not pursuing being right. No, he's saying pursuing what is right before a holy God. We want to be pleasing to our Savior. He says we must be marked by faith, not taking matters into our own hands, not being in control. No, we need to be marked by faithfully trusting Jesus and following Jesus. He says we must be marked by love. That's not loving ourselves first. No, that's denying ourselves. That's dying to ourselves. That's a self-forgiveness that wants to love other people more than we love ourselves. And finally, he says, we're marked by peace. That's not a, a warm, fuzzy, inward, calm feeling inside. No, he's saying we have a passionate pursuit of being one with one another. We have a priority that we want to be one with God's people more than we want to be right. We want to be one with the people of God. That's our heart. These have to be the things that the servant loves. These have to be things that you pursue. That that you're passionate about it. Like if the Lord Jesus right now could take an x-ray of your heart. And he could look deep down and see what you really love. And he could see what you pursue. What would he find there? Would he see that you love righteousness? Righteousness. Would he see that you're pursuing peace and faith and love? What would he see your heart is? Is that what you're passionate about? Or are you passionate about something else? Are you passionate about what the world around you is passionate about? But here's the deal. Jesus does see your heart right now. Revelation 2.23 says, Jesus says this, this is his words he says I am he, I am he who searches mind and heart I am he who searches mind and heart so he does see and he does know your heart he knows what other people don't know he sees what other people don't see and yet he wants your heart. He wants your heart as his people to be filled with a love for righteousness, faith, peace, and love. He wants that to mark you as his people. These are pursuits for all Christians. I In mean, verse 22 it says, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The Christian that Loves, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. They also can't love an argument. You you can't love to stir up strife and bring division into the midst of your church family. You can't love to make people mad. It can't be the joy of your heart to put someone in their place. No, you hate these things. You flee these things. You want to put them to death. Why? Because you love Jesus, because you love those people that you call your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ, you love peace and unity, it's your joy. You're marked by these pursuits. But secondly, the Lord's servants are marked by their patience. Listen, I know we're preaching this series called Guarding the Gospel Through 2 Timothy, but. Sometimes I think in our youthful passions, we are so zealous for the gospel that we leave a lot of casualties in our wake, not because of what we have said, but because of how we have said it. Now, I deeply believe what what we say is so important. Speaking the truth is so important. None of us can compromise on what is truth, but how we say it has never been more important Get this, church, how we say it has never been more important. That's what the Holy Spirit through Paul is driving into Timothy's heart and driving into our heart. He says it's not about being right. Timothy, I know you're right about the gospel. I know you're right. No, it's about being used in the hands of the Redeemer that people might come to repentance, that people might love Jesus. It's clear that Paul's speaking specifically to pastors here because he says they must be able to teach. Paul is telling Timothy that, that you as a pastor, Timothy, you have to set a different tone than the false teachers. A different tone than the rest of the world. You must look different. You must talk different. You must love different. Carry yourself differently. You must be like Jesus. While all the false teachers in Ephesus might be quick to start a fight, oh, you must be quick to love, quick to forgive. While everyone else might prize being right, you must prize and pursue peace. While everyone else might be easily offended, you must be unoffendable. You must be gracious. While everyone else might be quick to defend themselves, You must be, you must, he says, patiently endure evil. That's what he says here. Look at verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Paul's saying this is is real talk, this is real clear here. If you love to quarrel, you're not qualified to care for God's people. If you love to quarrel, you're not qualified to care for God's people. But but these are attributes that we all must exhibit. I mean, if we ever think that we're going to disarm this world that is so outrageous and so divisive and draw people to the beauty and the love of Jesus, then then we have to exhibit all these attributes. I mean Proverbs 15:1 says a, a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. Scott Saul says gentleness is the church's secret weapon in an age of us against them. Isn't that true? Gentleness is a secret, is the church's secret weapon in an age of us against them. You know what this means? It means we don't just need gentle pastors and gentle missionaries, we need gentle bosses that are Christians, and gentle friends, and gentle teachers, and gentle classmates, and gentle neighbors, and gentle family members. We need God's people to be marked by a gentleness that looks distinctly like Jesus. I mean, these are things, he says, that you must be if you want to be a servant of Christ. The Lord's servant, he says, must not be quarrelsome. He must be kind to everyone. These are things you must be. If if you don't want to be these things, you can be a devil's advocate, but you cannot be the Lord's servant. Like you, you can be a jerk, but you're not going to be like Jesus. I mean, have you ever thought about this before? That there's only one place in all the Gospels where, where Jesus describes his own heart. Where Jesus pulls out his own x-ray to say, I want, to see, I want you to see what's going on there. I want you to see what I'm like. And in Matthew 11, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus says, if if you want to know what I'm like, if you draw close to me, if you have a relationship with me, if you come near, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find someone who is gentle and lowly. And so the question is, if Jesus describes his own heart as gentle and lowly, why should God's people be harsh and haughty? If God describes his own, if Jesus describes his own heart as gentle and lowly, why should we be harsh and haughty with other people? We who know God's grace, we who've experienced his patience towards us, as sinners, we who've been loved with an unfathomable love that cannot be matched in this world, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. us who've experienced that, should we not be marked by kindness? I mean, should we not be patient with others? Should we not be gentle with other people? I mean, Jody said last week during his sermon, he said that, that, that good works does not mean that you could be it does not mean that you're nice to people at Kroger. Doing good works does not mean that you are nice to people at per- Kroger. That's 100% true. I believe that uh, that's 100% true. But it also doesn't mean you can be a jerk at Kroger. It also doesn't mean you can be a jerk on Facebook and say you're a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean you can be a jerk to your wife. Or to your kids or to people that you would call brother and sister who you are one with in Christ. And look, it doesn't even mean you can be a jerk. Look, to your greatest opponent. To your greatest opponent. When you say, well, you don't know what so-and-so said at my work. Or you don't know how they treat me. You don't know what they said about me. You know what Paul said? doesn't matter. I mean, Timothy's coming to Paul. You don't understand. Have you not, do you not remember the false teachers? Have you not heard what they said? Paul says, don't care. Doesn't matter at all. Yeah, but yeah, but let me show you the tweet. Doesn't matter. Don't care. Don't, it doesn't matter. You can say anything wouldn't matter. Because he says, be kind to who? Everyone. Correct your opponents. The most harsh, the most rude ones. How? With gentleness. Jonathan Edwards says that gentleness is the true and distinguishing disposition of the hearts of Christians. Gentleness is the true and distinguishing disposition of the heart of Christians. So a question for you. Do you see patience, gentleness, and kindness is optional upgrades to the Christian life? Or do you see them as essential as a follower of Jesus? Like, do you see them like the wheels on a car? Or do you see them more like the evergreen air freshener hanging from your, your windows, just optional? Would those closest to you say that you're patient, gentle, and kind? Or would they say you're impatient, harsh, and hateful let me give us a, a very clear application here if you think something needs to be said but you can't say it with patience and gentleness and kindness then you're not the person that needs to say it let me say it again if, if you think something needs to be said but you can't say it with patience and gentleness, and kindness, then you're not the person that needs to be saying it. At least not yet. I mean, even this this week, there was someone that I was like, man, I really want to give them, not the peace of Christ, I want to give them a piece of my mind. You ever been there? And the Holy Spirit just said, through God's word this week, study, you don't need to say anything. You know, if you're sensing from the Holy Spirit This week, you know what? I probably shouldn't say that. I probably shouldn't post that. I probably shouldn't text that. I probably shouldn't send that email. Trust that the Spirit is calling you to a better way. A better way of gentleness, patience, and love, and kindness to that person. Because the Lord's servants... Represent Jesus, so they should look like Jesus, so they should be gentle and lowly, they should be patient and kind, not look like the rest of the world. Finally, the Lord's servants are marked by their purpose. Listen to what Paul says might happen through correcting with all gentleness. Oh, if we're patient and we're kind and we're gentle, he says this God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Do you see what the word of God is saying? Through what you say and how you say it, God may grant them repentance. Both are essential. Through what you say and how you say it, God may grant them repentance. God says that through his servants, through speaking the truth in love, full of kindness and patience and gentleness, they might come to repentance. This makes sense because when they see gentleness and patience and love, this makes sense because they sense Jesus in them. They can sense his tenor and his tone in us. And and when we are gentle and lowly and we say to them, would you come to Jesus? They may hear him saying, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yes, people need to hear about Jesus from us. We need to speak the gospel. People need to hear about Jesus, but just as much they need to feel and sense the love of Jesus in us. Romans 2 4 says that it's God's kindness. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It's the Lord's patience with sinners. It's his kindness with sinners that leads them, that draws them to turn away from their sin and to turn to Jesus. You might be scoffing at Jesus today. You might be rebelling against his rule right now. But if you have breath right now, the Lord is being kind to you. If you wake up breathing tomorrow, it's because the Lord's patient with you. And the Lord's kindness and patience, His love, is calling you to turn from your sin and to put your faith in Jesus. The one who, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. That even you, with your patience, your impatience, and your hateful heart, and your lack of gentleness, might find grace and forgiveness in a Savior that loves you. Even in the Old Testament, God's people are an adulterous people, and they're they're running after other lovers. And, And what does a holy God do to them? Well, Hosea 2 says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. God doesn't scold his people out of their sin. No, he woos them. He woos them by his grace back into himself. So what if, what if the Lord desires his people to be marked by a kindness that leads people to repentance? What if the Lord desires through Christ's fellowship not to scold people out of their sin, but to woo them back to Jesus? What if the gentleness and patience of God's people helps them stop for a second to hear the voice of a Savior? The Lord's servants. If you're a servant of Christ, you must remember that our purpose, our goal, is their repentance. Our goal is their repentance. Our greatest desire can't be that we're right. Our greatest desire is that they would repent and believe in Jesus. So we have to redefine what it means to win. It's not to win the argument. It's to win them to Jesus, to win people to Jesus. doesn't matter if you're in the front on the front porch of, of a neighbor here in this neighborhood, or on the sidewalk at Western Kentucky, or across the table at Spencer's or across the kitchen table from your spouse, or to the back of the van with your kids, your goal is not to win the argument. Your goal is to woo them to Jesus. To win them to Jesus. It's not going to come through our impatience and harshness and frustration. It's going to come through the gentleness of Christ. The kindness of Christ. You don't want people leaving thinking you're smart or right. You want them leaving loving Jesus. But finally, we have to also redefine the enemy. It's not the person in front of you. <laughs> Do you see the passage? The enemy's not the person sitting in front of you. The enemy is the devil. He says that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of truth and they may come to their senses, and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This passage makes it abundantly clear that there's more going on behind their unbelief. Verse 26 says that they've been intoxicated. They've been drunk by the lies of Satan himself says that they've been caught in a snare by the devil to do his will. 2 Corinthians 4 says, behind every unbeliever is a great deceiver. And that great deceiver is blinding their eyes from seeing the truth. So what if you were more patient with your postings because you remember that people are drunk on the devil's life. What if you were more gentle with your prodigal child or or more gentle with a wayward friend because you knew they were caught in a trap? What if you were more kind to a classmate because they're not the enemy. No, they're blinded by the God of this world so that they cannot see the truth. You know what? You, You don't yell at a blind man. You don't yell at a blind man say, so, what are you doing? Watch where you're going. Can you not see? No, you're gentle and patient and kind. You keep talking about a Savior named Jesus. And you beg, you beg the Lord that he might say, let there be light. That they may come to their senses And be overwhelmed by the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the heart of the Lord's servant. It's not wanting to be right. It's pursuing righteousness, love, faith, and peace. It's being marked by patience and kindness and gentleness. That through it all, they might see Jesus. That through what we say and how we say it, that they might hear a Savior softly say to them, come to me. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come away from your sin that's fooling you. Come away from the trap that he has you in. Come away and behold The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a servant. And that's what the world around us needs now more than ever. Let's pray. Father, we are asking, we are begging, Lord, that you work in our hearts to make us gentle. That you would make us kind, that you would make us patient, that you would make us loving like our Savior Jesus. Jesus. So that people will not only hear about Jesus through our lips, but they will feel, they will sense, they will know Jesus through our lives. So Lord, I pray that you would convict your people today, Lord, if they've been harsh, if they've been hateful, if they've been impatient, they've been unloving, Lord, that you would convict us. That we might turn from our sin and that, Lord, we might walk differently than the world around us, that we might walk and talk like Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Lord, if there's anyone here that's fooled, Lord, that's intoxicated by the lies of Satan, that's fooled by the sins of this world, that's caught in a trap from the devil, Lord, that's blind and cannot see that the sin that their sin is deceiving that the devil is deceiving them. Lord, would you speak into their hearts even now to show them the beauty of Jesus. Show them the beauty of a Savior who lived for them and who died for them and rose again. Lord, that they might turn from their sin, that you might grant them repentance even now. They might come to a knowledge of the truth. That there's a Savior who loves me while I was still a sinner, he loved me. And he died for me, he rose again, that I might have life and forgiveness in him forever. Lord, would you do this right now for your great glory and for our great joy, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.